0: In our study of the book of Exodus today, we're going to be taking a look at Exodus chapters 24 to 27. Now, I will tell you that, you know, that seems like it's several chapters that we're going to take a look at. But really, we're mainly going to be focusing on chapter 24. And if you want to, you can read chapters 25, 26 and 27 uh, on your own. But those chapters deal with the uh, the tabernacle whenever uh, they're kind of preparing for it and really kind of getting the instructions for how the tabernacle is supposed to look. Now, chapter 24 is what we're going to deal with a little bit more. And this chapter, it is whenever God actually makes that covenant with Moses and with all of the Israelites, really. So now we are finally, you know, more than halfway into the book. But now we finally get to this covenant relationship whenever things are are really being written down and the law is is, is being laid down. I mean, you know, if you will, and and kind of this, this idea, even though, you know, up to this point, we've sort of already heard some of those laws. Well, we get even a little bit more, and this is where the the covenant uh, relationship is is made. And this is where we see uh, all the way back in uh, the early chapters of Exodus, you know, Moses was told that he was going to lead the people out to the mountain and they were going to be worshiping and offering sacrifices. Well, so far, they haven't really done that, but they do in this chapter. So let's take a look at this uh, Exodus 24 together. If you look at the first two verses, this will lay this foundation for all that follows. But to Moses, the Lord said, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from a distance. Moses alone may come near the Lord, but the others must not come near, nor may the people go up with him. So this is what they're they're really kind of getting to eventually. And we see that, that Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, so, you know, the priest, what's going to become, you know, the high priest and the priest and all, um, the priesthood family. There we are. That's a good way of saying it, I guess. And then also the 70 elders. So the, the leaders of uh, the whole congregation of Israel and Moses himself. Now, Moses, he's one of those interesting figures that uh, when you try to kind of fit him into a certain box and exactly what he is, I mean, he's obviously a prophet, but the the role in which he played as a prophet is an amazing role because he alone is the one who comes near the Lord. And we're going to see later on. A um, little bit of a spoiler alert, but we're gonna see a little bit later on that after he was in contact with the Lord, his face was actually shining. Um, that you know, that has something to do with the glory of God. Well, Moses was the only one that was able to, to do that and, and to speak with the Lord like that. But this is setting up uh, for that moment of what's gonna take place. So now let's find out what happens whenever uh, they are preparing for this moment. Now let's look at verses three through eight. Moses came and told the people, all the lord's words and all the decisions all the people answered together we are willing to do all the words that the lord has said and moses wrote down all the words of the lord early in the morning he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and arranged 12 standing stones according to the 12 tribes of israel he sent young israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls for peace offerings to the lord moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and half of the blood he splashed on the altar He took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. And they said, we are willing to do and obey all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses took the blood and splashed it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Okay, so let's kind of take this bit by bit and let's look at what is being stated for us. Uh, For starters, what I want to draw attention to is uh, this wonderful thing that we get in verse four. It says that Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Now, that doesn't necessarily seem, you know, kind of like really cool at first, but I want to draw your attention to this. You remember a few chapters back in Exodus chapter 17, I mentioned that that's the first time in the Bible that we have recorded the writing of the Bible, you know, that, that Moses was told to write down on a scroll. That's the first mention of the writing of the Bible within the Bible. This is the second time that we see it in verse four. So Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So we see that Moses is closely connected with you know, he's the one who is writing these things down. He's the one who is is credited as writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You know, we can call those the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of Moses. Goes by a bunch of different names. But whatever the case, we see that Moses is the one who is actually writing these things down and handing these to the people. And he's doing that again. And we see it specifically in the text uh, of this record of how Moses wrote down uh, all these words. Uh, So how did the people respond to these things that were being written down? And how did they respond to this covenant relationship with God? Well, in verse three, we see that all the people answer together. So that, you know, this is one of those scenes. If this were a movie, you know, this would be one of those really, you know, climactic scenes. It's really exciting. And everybody's just, you know, really happy to, to be there and excited about what's going on. And they say, we are willing to do all the words that the Lord has said. Now, you probably know the rest of the story. And you know that it didn't take them very long before they were already just kind of missing the mark. They were messing up. They they weren't doing everything that the Lord had said. But let's remember, they're people, you know, just like we are people. You know, sometimes whenever we start off as, as being a Christian, you know, we have this idea that we're gonna do everything exactly as God wants. And then from time to time, we find out that we don't always do what God wants. Uh, that's how they were as well. Um, so, you know, whenever we, we see this, we see this wonderful and exciting moment that they are answering together; that they are willing to do everything that God says. Sometimes, even though they mess up, you know, we, we, we see that they still state it here that they are willing to do these things. And this is a wonderful this is a wonderful moment that we see that uh, here in verse four that Moses is building uh, this altar at the foot of the mountain. Now, keep in mind, this goes back like 20 chapters. Remember, this is what God said whenever he appeared to them uh, on that mountain in the burning bush, remember that, with with Moses. He said, you know, this is gonna be a sign. You're gonna come back to this mountain and you're gonna worship me. Uh, So we've kind of seen this uh, being connected. We've seen this being being carried over. And specifically part of what God said then was when Moses went to Pharaoh, he was asking that they go out into the wilderness and that they would be able to uh, make a sacrifice to their God. This is the first time that we see that sacrifice. So all the way back from Exodus chapter five, whenever Moses starts to go before Pharaoh and asking that his people be released and go um, produce or offer sacrifices. Now we see in Exodus 24, they're finally doing that. They're building this altar and they are sacrificing on this altar. Now in the rest of these verses, we see something kind of weird. Really, I mean, to me at least, it's weird, and and it's odd to think about this, and it seems just a messy situation, because Moses he takes this blood and then he splashes it on the people, and you know everything is is splashed with his blood, and and I, it just seems like a really weird thing. Uh, one thing that I did find in kind of preparing for this class that that what could actually be happening here is not that he is actually taking this blood and splashing it on the people, but perhaps what he is actually doing is He's splashing it on those 12 stones that he sets up there in verse 4. It says that he arranged these 12 standing stones according to the 12 tribes of Israel. So, you know, if he splashes that blood on those 12 standing stones, that could be kind of this representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, So, you know, perhaps that's kind of actually what he's doing, Um, even though it's still recorded like this, that he's splashing on the people because Those 12 standing stones are representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're they're representative of all the people. It's part of this covenant relationship in which they're they're entering in. Uh, But whatever the case, whether he actually splashes it on those stones or if he splashes it on the people, whatever the case, we see this language here that's described in verse 8. He says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the blood of the covenant. If you go back, um, I guess, from Exodus, at least it's forward in time. If you look at how our Lord responded um, whenever He was giving that, those different commands and kind of instituting the uh, what has become known now as uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, but we also know that first time as the Last Supper, He uses the same type of language about how this is the blood of the covenant. You know, this is the blood of the, this new covenant. And so our Lord is taking some of these statements here that was uh, this this original covenant in the Old Testament with Moses. And he is stating that of the new covenant. Uh, So we see some of these same parallels and and also talking about the Lord's Supper and how that is a meal for us today. Uh, The the rest of these verses that that follow in this chapter are going to be describing a different type of meal that takes place. So I don't think all of these things are by accident. They all serve as a purpose and, and all of them are part of this covenant relationship that God is entering in with his people. And, yeah, it's been a process. It's taken a long time. But here they are at this mountain, worshiping God, sacrificing to him." But there's also more that takes place because it's it's not just enough that they enter into this covenant. Uh, there's more that, that follows. And I think this is an amazing sight and would have been wonderful to, to be able to see this. So let's keep reading now. Verses nine through 11, look at this scene. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the, the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet, there was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear like the sky itself. But he did not lay a hand on the leaders of the Israelites. So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, let's unpack some of these, these statements. Uh, for starters, we see who is is part of this group. Verse 9, it tells us all these, uh, these 70-some-odd people who all of them, are uh, going to see the God of Israel. That's kind of interesting because we know that no one can see God and sometimes people are are a little confused about what's going on. It does seem, uh, especially since in verse 11, obviously people didn't expect to be able to see this because they were like, it specifically says that God did not lay a hand on the leaders and they saw God and they ate and they drank. So it's just kind of, it's interesting, but they're having this covenant meal Um, And this is interesting that we oftentimes see connected with covenants um, is that that meal. We see that in the new covenant, don't we? We have a a type of a covenant meal and one in which we even take of every single week. And we are reminded of that, uh, that covenant relationship that we are in uh, with Jesus Christ today. But here in this covenant, what they do is they're eating this meal uh, around this mountain here. And then in verse 10, it actually says that they saw the God of Israel. Okay, so what did they see? Well, they apparently saw the lower part of him. And this is kind of interesting. Whenever you see people see God, maybe that's a weird way of putting it, but whenever you read in scriptures about people seeing God, it's always kind of an an interesting thing that they saw. Right here, what we do see is under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire. But yet it was also clear like crystal, uh, like the sky itself, I'm sorry. Um, So here, that statement is made with sapphire. Now when you start reading about sapphire yeah sometimes in the bible it actually is talking about the stone sapphire that you know we know of as sapphire sometimes though it's actually talking about a different stone called lapis lazuli now i like that because lapis lazuli if you ever get a chance to look at it it's a very interesting stone because it's a uh, it it's not just one solid color and it also looks like the sky itself because it has little uh, little flakes of what essentially is fool's gold gold what we know of as fool's gold today it's got some of those flakes within it and it's kind of like this uh this royal blue this kind of rich deep blue and it looks a lot like the sky as it's uh darkening from that clear um blue and then going into the starry night so it's it's a very interesting stone if you ever uh, maybe kind of look that up and and try to figure out what it is about the the lapis lazuli Um, but it's it's connected with sapphire because um keep in mind this was hebrew that it was written in and it was translated and sometimes it's uncertain as to whether or not it was actually sapphire that they were talking about or if they were talking about lapis lazuli because both of them are kind of used a little interchangeable um, but both of them are kind of this blue in color and then whatever the case this is just a way to describe what they're seeing so what they are seeing is they're seeing the feet of god and under his feet he's on some type of a pavement so it's it's kind of like a clear bridge type thing, I, I guess it would be a way to sort of describe it. Um, you know, if you were perhaps able to to be uh, underneath this and see a, a clear bridge, kind of like that, I guess you, you might say, but it also had some color to it, but yet it's also clear like the sky itself. Okay, so I think it, it makes sense, even though some of these images don't always exactly make sense and it's kind of hard to describe, but this is what they saw, you know, they saw uh, God himself in some way, you know, they saw this glory of God and, and this was part of this covenant relationship. They were all entering into this covenant relationship with the God of the Bible. And this is an amazing, um, scene that doesn't really happen very often. And, and, you know, obviously some people thought that, well, why didn't they just die? Because it says that God didn't lay a hand on them. They were able to see God and they ate and they drank there in his presence. But all of this is part of this, this covenant that God is making with his people. And he allowed them to see more than what people normally see. You know, one day in the future, of course, we're all going to be able to, to see God, and we're, we're going to, I guess you might even say, walk on that pavement, so to speak, and, and be right there in his midst, you know, with him. Uh, but for the time being, uh, we do have a, a bit of a, of a separation there in, in the sense of not being able to see God face to face on this earth. But they saw more uh, during this time of this covenant. So, very interesting whenever you start to see some of these these images that are being described. And there's a little bit more here about this, this covenant relationship that God is entering in with his people. So let's continue on now. Verses 12 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments that I've written so that you may teach them. So Moses set out with Joshua, his attendant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. He told the elders, Wait for us in this place until we return to you. Here are Aaron and Hur with you. Whoever has any matters of dispute can approach them. Okay, so they are all preparing for this moment whenever Moses is going to be able to go up on this mountain and to be able to to get these commands and to be able to teach these things. So all of this is still part of of this covenant relationship in which the people are entering in uh, with God. Then we read, Verses 15 through 18, Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord resided on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from within the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in plain view of the people. Moses went into the cloud when he went up the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so there's a lot of cool things about this, but definitely we see that they're seeing the glory of of the Lord again. If you remember, the glory of the Lord has been with them. Uh, We've also seen the presence of the Lord with that angel um, that we looked at last week that had the name of the Lord with him. Well, this time we see this glory of the Lord. It's being described in familiar images. We see in verse 17, it's like a devouring fire. And this is described as with the glory and also with this cloud. Uh, This is the same type of image, at least I kind of put it all together, with what we've seen, that that cloud, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night uh, that led the people uh, out of the land of Egypt. Well, this has to do with the presence of God, the glory of God, and God is in their midst. They see this visual representation of him, and they're they're able to, to be there, and Moses actually goes up into this cloud, very interesting from all the other people's perspective. So Moses was there for like a month and a half, 40 days and 40 nights. That's a month and a half. That's a long time. And during that time, that's whenever Moses um, gets more of the commands and specifically in the next few chapters, what we see is that's where he gets the commands as to how the tabernacle is going to be built. Now, let's look at just a few things about that. We're not gonna look at all the verses, but I do wanna point out two of them. Here in Exodus chapter 25, Uh, Beginning in the very first verse, you you start to see that that he is being given the instructions about this tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is pretty much the same thing as what the temple was going to be later on. Or rather, I guess I should say that the temple was just an addition to what the tabernacle was. The tabernacle, it just means it's a tent. And in this tent, this is going to be how God is going to dwell among his people. Now, so far, it's been this cloud-like presence that has been with them. God is going to make that a little different and he's going to going to dwell. And then this tabernacle is also going to be where the the priests participate in how they they worship God and how they interact with God. But it is very important that they follow this pattern of what the tabernacle is. So here in Exodus 25, verse nine, we read this according to all that I am showing you, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, you must make it exactly so. And in verse 40. Now be sure to make them according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. So whenever the Lord is talking to Moses, he makes sure that Moses understands you've got to make it according to the pattern. Why was that so important? Well, later on, we get a, a, a more, uh, a little bit more description about the importance of that pattern. And we find out from the book of Hebrews, and we're gonna go into the book of Hebrews just a little bit in this lesson. Um, but we find out in the book of Hebrews that one of the main things about the pattern was it, it's a reflection. The tabernacle itself is a reflection of heaven itself. So because of that, it's important if you're going to have this this kind of um, map, I guess, this layout sort of, of heaven itself on earth, you need it to be precise because you're given this pattern and God expects this pattern to be followed. And it was. And we see this description in Exodus chapter 25, 26, and 27, and for most of it, it's just kind of details about the specifics on what was supposed to be included in the tabernacle and all and i want to go over those um briefly but not necessarily from the text so much i would encourage you to read chapters 25 through 27 and to be able to just you know kind of find out some of these things but sometimes whenever we read so much about why did they make it exactly like that why do we need to know all these dimensions okay they needed to know those dimensions because that was part of the pattern it was very important that they make it precisely according to the pattern uh, that they were shown on the mountain. Now for us, it can be important to recognize that they were given chapters worth of information. And then we get a few more chapters later on in the book of Exodus, whenever they actually built it. So right here, they're just getting the instructions. Later, they're gonna be building it. And you might be wondering, why do you get the exact same words and the exact same description about these things? Well, this was very important because this was kind of a representation of God's heavenly throne here on the earth and being able to come into the presence of God. I mean, think about that. How important is it to go into the presence of God? That's how important the tabernacle was. And that's why they needed to to make sure that they did everything exactly according to the plan of God. But I wanna share with you some of, of kind of how it would look. Let's take a look from a bird's eye view, I guess. Now, what you're seeing on the screen is uh, I I actually looked for an image about this and let me just kind of walk you through uh, some of this here. Um, I I was trying to search for an image that I could show you that gives you maybe a little bit of a cutaway of this. Uh, You can perhaps find one. Um, I I couldn't find a good one that I really wanted to share with you. And and then in all honesty, what happened is I started getting into this this presentation software and I I started by just kind of making a box and I ended up making this thing that you see on the screen. So I'm gonna refer to some of these colors Um, It might be a little bit different on your screen compared to my screen, so I I don't know. I'm going to use some some terms for these colors, and I think you'll be able to follow along with me. But we are actually – I'm going to walk you through what you see here on this screen, and we're going to go from right to left. Okay, let me see. Sorry, it's a little bit reversed whenever I'm talking about. So we're going to go from this way, and we're going to work our way all the way through. And this is – if you were to look at it, if you were to look at the tabernacle and be able to see inside of the tabernacle uh, from a bird's eye view, and, and I'm going to describe some of these things a, as we go through it, and this is also because we typically put the north uh, end at the top of the map. That's how this is too. So the north of the tabernacle uh, would have been just the side of it. So um, here, this whole area. Let me describe this first. The whole area I have labeled it in white as the outer courts. This would just be kind of the courtyards, I guess. You you want to want to call it that uh, and it's a whole brown area um, that is kind of what you'd see from the outside of it it didn't have an opening um, I'm sorry it did have an opening it didn't have a covering that's what I meant to say it didn't have a covering so it was just basically like this fenced-in area uh, that they would go into and you would enter into it uh, from this side on the right this little this little blue uh, sliver there that kind of represents a, an opening in that tent that they would enter in through Whenever you enter in through that tent, or enter in through the, the uh, courtyard, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get the terms right as I go. You come across this, this one thing that's labeled, it's it's a red square on the screen, and it's an A. That would be the altar. That's where they would sacrifice the, the offerings that they would bring. Um, so that was where a lot of times the Israelites would, would be able to um, bring the, their offerings, and that's where they would be sacrificed on. Um, then if you were a priest you could actually go into this kind of pinkish area on the screen it's labeled as the holy place here and in order for you to enter in to that place you had to go first at this uh this round w area on the screen that would be the the wash basin Um, it goes by a few different names basically it's just a place where they had water and they would clean up before going into the presence of god uh, they also had to be very specific about what clothes they wore and different things like that. But we'll get into that as we get later into the Book of Exodus. But they go through uh, that water, and then they enter in through this other little square area that uh, it's kind of a, I don't know exactly what color that is. I think it's supposed to be a little bit of a really, really, really light green. That represents a veil. So that would be a covering that you who wouldn't be able to see into the holy place. And you couldn't see through the top of the holy place either because... The holy place and the holy of holies, or the most holy place, all of that would have been covered. So this pink and purple area on the screen, all of that would have been covered um, on all sides and even on the front, and everything you wouldn't be able to see through. But if you were a priest, you could enter in through that veil. Whenever you entered in through that veil, what you would see is you know, walking into it. Uh, on your left would be this lampstand that's labeled as a Y there. I use the letter Y because it kind of would look a little bit. Uh, like how the lampstand would have been. That lampstand is also referred to as a menorah. And in that lampstand, that's something that it would always be lit and it would kind of be the symbol about the presence of God. On your right side, uh, on your left, you have that light. On the right side, you have what is uh, on the screen, two T's. I did that because it's kind of like this table, kind of looks like a table, and it would be the table of showbread. That's where the, the bread would be placed and it would always be before the Lord. And then right ahead of you, There's another altar, and that's why it's a square, um, blue A, that would be another altar. This is the altar of incense, and this would be always constantly burning before the Lord, and this would be this pleasing aroma before the Lord. Then you have that green square, that that green kind of sliver that's separating the pink place from the purple place. That would be the veil. That, That represents the veil that is between the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Now, the Holy of Holies, uh, that is a location that kept the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you were a priest, you couldn't enter into there. The only one that could was the high priest. And the high priest could only enter in one time a year. That would be on the Day of Atonement. And on that Day of Atonement, he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that Ark of the Covenant uh, was that gold box, if you remember, that had the cherubim on top. And it had a few things uh, contained within it. We see that it included the Ten Commandments, but it also included a few other things. Some of that manna and, and different things during different times of the, the history of, of the Israelites. But that is an overview about um, the tabernacle. And I really love it. And I love talking about the tabernacle because in it, I see all of these different symbols that point toward what Jesus Christ is for us. And, you know, that can be lessons in and of itself about the about the tabernacle and how we can approach the presence of God. But, but really, the significance of this tabernacle is that that Ark of the Covenant was like where God rested himself. That was sort of, it's described as his footstool. That's one of the images that's used in the scripture. Also, it kind of could be considered the the throne of God, the the earthly throne of God. Or I guess you could say the heavenly throne of God on earth. However, you kind of want to work through that. That's what the Ark of the Covenant uh, is. And as you got closer and closer to that, um, that would be closer and closer to the presence of God, so to speak. So the tabernacle was very important, and then later the temple, it was just kind of an expanded version of this. This is the simplified version. I know it might not seem all that simple to us, but it's a simplified version of what the temple would later become. Uh, And the temple was the same type of purpose behind it as what this one is. Um, Now, I probably went into maybe more descriptions about all these things than than what I needed to, uh, but I wanted you to understand that that's what Exodus 25 says. 26 and 27 uh, is all about and it gives those descriptions about how those things are to be made but now I want to take you through a a text in the New Testament uh, because just a a little bit I just want to take a few minutes and show us the significance uh, for us here and maybe some of the significance uh, that Christ means uh, in all of this so now let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 and I'm actually going to be reading um, I'm going to start in verse 1 and I'm gonna go through uh, through verse 12. And I'm gonna be reading that, and you can kind of look at this map. I, that's why I didn't include the text on the screen. I'll be reading it from the text, but you can look on this map and you can kind of see how it, how he's describing these different, uh, different areas here. But Hebrews chapter nine, beginning in verse one. Now the first covenant, in fact, had regulations for worship and its earthly sanctuary. For a tent was prepared, the outer one, which contained the lampstand, the table, And the presentation of the loaves this is called the holy place and after the second curtain there was a tent called the holy of holies it contained the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered entirely with gold in this ark were the golden urn containing the manna aaron's rod that budded and the stone tablets of the covenant and above the ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat now is not the time to speak of these things in detail So, with these things prepared like this, the priest entered uh, continually into the outer tent as they performed their duties. But only the high priest enters once a year into the inner tent, and not without blood that he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is making clear that the way into the holy place had not yet appeared as long as the old tabernacle was standing. This was a symbol for the time when then-present, When gifts and sacrifices were offering were offered that could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They served only for matters of food and drink and various ritual washings. They are external regulations imposed until the new order came. Now listen especially to this verses 11 and 12. But now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation. And he entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. And he goes on and, you know, describes that. But here we get in Hebrews 9, all of these different images and and all these different things and the different parts of the tabernacle. But we see that that's just a symbol for, for heaven itself. And our Lord, what he did, what Jesus did, whenever he his own blood, it wasn't the blood of some animal, it was his own blood, and he entered in not to the temple, not to some tabernacle, but he entered into heaven itself and he offered up uh, what's described here in this text eternal redemption. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. That's the redeeming qualities that our God did for us, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the significance of the tabernacle, that's the significance of the temple. It all points toward what Jesus Christ was going to do whenever he came here to this earth. And he most certainly did that. And I wanna read just a few more verses from Hebrews 9 uh, and then uh, the lesson will be yours and we'll pick back up next week. Let's look now at verses 24 through 26, a wonderful connection to Christ in all this study. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself. And he appears now in God's presence for us. And he did not enter to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the sanctuary year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he could uh, for then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the consummation of the ages to put away sin by his sacrifice. This is what Jesus has done. He didn't enter in to just some tabernacle. He entered into heaven itself. And because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, we see the true significance of the tabernacle. Uh, and we see the, the true significance of what Christ has done and how he has given of himself once for all. He doesn't have to sacrifice himself every single year. No, he brought it into heaven itself. It's done. The sacrifice for our sins has been accomplished. So when we read these things in the Old Testament, we can appreciate better. The sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, the one that through that sacrifice, we can approach God. It's something that would have been, you know, kind of. Not really even on the radar of people of the the Old Testament, but in ours, we can boldly come before the throne of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Thank you very much for your time. And next week, we will uh, pick back up in the book of Exodus.